relevant for those few special people who are called to go out to foreign parts, what we describe as missionaries. But those kind of people are relatively few, and there is the rest of us. And this passage is addressed, Jesus' words, Jesus' commission is addressed to all of us. And the other thing, last of all, we tend to think of it in terms of special occasions, special activities, or exclusively what we, if I can describe it that way, church activities. Our mission, you know, we might go down on Sunday for some special event, or our Billy Graham mission, something along those lines. Now, none of these things are bad things. None of these things are wrong or irrelevant. It's just that this passage is addressed to all of us for all times. You see, it's called this act of making disciples, this activity. It's supposed to be an ongoing, lifelong activity for all of us, wherever we find ourselves. And to be someone who makes disciples, who's a discipler, that's such a word, of course we have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Or I can put it the other way around. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means that we're called to make disciples and to teach them all what Jesus commanded them. But what did he teach them? What did he say to them? Lots of different things. But I thought, well, we haven't got all day, so I'm not going to go through all of that. But if I want to distill his teaching down to a few words, to get the kind of heart of it, what would I say? And I come across this passage. This is from Luke. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. An expert in the law of Moses stood up and asked Jesus a question to see what he would say. He asked, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus answered, what is written in the scriptures? How do you understand them? The man replied, the scriptures say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. They also say, love your neighbour as much as you love yourself. Jesus said, you've given the right answer. If you do this, you will have eternal life. But the man wanted to show that he knew what he was talking about, so he asked, Who is my neighbor? So we know the story, don't we? We know what, what Jesus said in reply to that. It was a parable of the good Samaritan. Now make no mistake about that story. It would have been truly shocking to the people who were listening to him. Why? Because it wasn't a story about a Jew doing good to a fellow Jew. It was a story of a Samaritan. Now they hated the Samaritans. They loathed them. There was this 
you know, they regarded them as, as, as outsiders, beyond the pale. A Samaritan And he went a step further, didn't he? Because there were Jews who had the opportunity to love their neighbour. And what did you do? If you were put it down, was first of all the thought. Love God with everything. Next, love your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Who's our neighbor? Whoever is with me. So the mother of the life of his disciples. So we are sent out into the world. And as I was saying a couple of weeks ago, it's my opinion, my strong opinion, that the majority of us, not all of us, but we're sent, in, in one sense at least, where we already are. As a, a, a group of people talk about our front line. You know, we think of people working on the front line. Again, people in hard times. Working on the front line in difficult circumstances. People working in difficult areas of, of the city, of this country. <coughs> but it's their suggestion, and it's my suggestion, that we all have a front line. If it was mine, it's kind of boring, really. You know, I don't have to think about it. It's not rocket science. It's my place of work. Your front line, you see, where do you meet the majority of non-Christians? Might be down the shops. There's a story I heard where two ladies who felt they didn't have any kind of front line. Uh, you know, they spent most of their time in church with other Christians, so on and so forth. So they started to explore this a little bit in their small group. And they hit upon this. That when they went out shopping, they spent a good half hour sat on a bench at the bus stop, waiting for the bus. And there was a group of people that they would meet on a fairly regular basis. These were retired people. And they would chat to them half the time of their There was the place where they could share the gospel. Loving our neighbour. How do we do that? How does that work out in practice? Now, when we talk about loving God and everything and loving our neighbour, there's we could there's a tendency to think of it in terms of avoiding things. Or not doing, you know, not swearing, not stealing, so on and so forth. Now again, none of these things are unimportant. Don't misunderstand me. Or from our point of view, it might be, you know, um, obeying the rules of godly living, or at least the, our idea of it. But I think 
all of my life, no matter what it is, when I go and watch the Rovers and have a good cry, it's important to him. You know, I do not believe there's any such thing as a Christian, as the secular and the sacred. When we become Christians, when we put our allegiance to Jesus Christ and we follow him, everything becomes sacred. And it's important to him. So my work situation, for example, isn't just something I have to do. Do come in. Uh, isn't something I just have to do to earn money. And then it's what I do here that really counts. None of the world. It all counts. All of it. So where do you go now? This long haul. This series. We need to get it in our heads, that simple fact that everything is important to God. We are called to be disciples. Where it is we do that, the best thing to do is do what that man did. Again, I mentioned it in the story a couple of weeks ago. He asked God, God, what do you want me to do? I've got a story for you. Another story. This is a, yet again another true story of somebody's experience. But they took this call seriously and how it worked out. And more to the point, he took the, the command to love his neighbour as much as he loves himself. And you see what the outcome. There's a man called David. But David worked in a David's front line was his office. And for some time he'd been disappointed by the lack of any real opportunity to talk about Jesus directly. He prayed, he asked advice, but nothing seemed to happen. And he knew that it wasn't the kind of place where you could just launch in. That, he was, he was convinced, would be counterproductive. But he prayed. And then he played a bit more. And he sought advice from a guy called Martin, who was a pastor. And he prayed with him. Still no. Anyway, one Monday, one of his colleagues, James, failed to turn up to work. No one thought much about it. Probably just a spectacular weekend. But when he didn't turn up the following day, David called him. Even though he wasn't a particular friend to him. Are you okay? No, I'm feeling terrible. I haven't been able to get out of bed for three days. Is anyone looking after you? No, I live alone and my family are mild. Have you got the right medicine? I haven't got, I haven't even got any food. Anyway, to cut a long conversation short, David went round to see James that evening. Got him into the shower, changed his linen, took him to the doctor, got the medicine, bought food, and went to see him every evening for a week. 
during that week, James never asked David a single question about why he was doing all he was doing for him. However, within a week of James' return to work, David found himself inundated with opportunities to talk about the gospel. James, James had told everyone what David had done, and he found himself accosted in the list, in the corridors, in the cafeteria. His colleagues simply couldn't understand why he'd done it. As Martin put it, David was quite carefully and humbly to all who are. Nothing I did. I have chosen to model my life on the life of teaching teachings of Jesus. And I think what I do is the kind of thing that you want to do. I don't do it very well, but I do it well. You see, there's someone taking that call seriously. I'm working it out what it means in their own life. And suddenly, the kind of things start to happen. So again, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself, whether it's at work, or at neighbours, at school, down shops, down the swimming pool, in the gym, the cold. Lord Jesus, when we hear these stories and we see the challenges, we see the situations we're in, and if we're honest with we find it daunting and scary, maybe, certainly challenging. Lord, thank you that we're not on our own, that we have our Christian friends, our brothers and sisters in you to support us and help us. Even more than that, we have you to support and help us. And Lord, again, we just remind ourselves of that wonderful father-son relationship we can enjoy with you because of what your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has done for us. Help us, Lord, to be bringers of good news in whatever situation we find ourselves. To live our lives for you. To live lives where you're glorified. And again, Lord, we don't pretend to think that we will always get it right. But we know that you are long-suffering, you love us, and you're prepared to forgive us, dust us down, and we just start again. I have to in the last few weeks and months, years ago. To be the people you want to be, the church you want to be. And Jesus Christ.